Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. Hey, I'm Adam Hawkins, and I'm joined today in the studio by my friend, sister, and partner in ministry, Taryn Mays. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad you're back on the show. Every time you get to be on it, um, I think our people really benefit. But we have an amazing guest, our friend, friend of the show. Dr. Pennington is back. We invited him back to the show. Last year, we had him on to talk about his book, The Great Philosopher. Uh, And today we want to talk specifically about relationships and how to cultivate healthy, godly relationships. Dr. Pennington, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hey, always great to be with you guys. Thank you. Doing well. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's dive right in. Just get right to the point here. Um, You know, as a show that tries to explore the intersection of faith and culture, we always want to sort of see where culture speaks uh, and lines up with truth and then where it sort of seems to deviate. Uh, This day and age, I don't know, maybe it's my age, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I see a lot more of the deviations, the things I need to be careful of consuming, careful of sort of um, um, yeah, welcoming into my life. And one of those things might be, uh, that we live in a really individualistic society. Uh, in a lot of ways, our culture pushes a narrative of like, I can make my own choices. I don't need other people. Um, even the, even the way it sort of offers shallow relationship, lots of content to consume, uh, makes me feel like, you know, I'm just fine sort of sitting on my couch with my Netflix and coffee. But there's a longing in our lives to be part of community. Uh, and, I, you know, you can just name it and see it everywhere. Um, can you talk about some of the ways we see the importance of friendship or community in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really good. I'm just reflecting on your comments there that I was trying to think about, like, my adult kids... I don't know how representative their experience is, but I, I think they all really do want community. Yeah, It seems like there's a, and that they are pretty intentional about it. I don't know though, that our culture is doing a great job of shaping our sense of what good relationships look like. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when I think about the Bible, um, this is one of the things that has I think become clear and clear to me, especially as I, I work in the gospels the most and, and most familiar with the gospel of Matthew, just this morning, I was again, writing on the commentary I'm working on, on Matthew 18, which is one of the places where community really, mm-hmm. uh, one of the many places where community is really central. In fact, um, in a lot of contexts, I've, I do these like weekend retreats where we talk about um, what I call the I, we, they mm. uh, kind of triad so that I use the gospel of Matthew to say, what does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to follow in the way of Christ in these three ways of I as an individual, we as a community, and then they, meaning how do we relate to the world? And mm. it's actually a really helpful way to yeah, think about what absolutely. it means to be human 
thy, we, they, as well as what it means to be a Christian human, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is uh, relating those. So on, on the we part, that is W-E, not W-I-I, today myself <laughs> a little bit here, but, but on the we part, it's all throughout Matthew, but I think it's really easy to land on Matthew chapters 18, 19, and 20, mm. which I think when you take those together, they provide a very robust um, picture of what it means to live in relationship with other people, which is modeled uh, in the Christ people, you know, the the followers of Jesus. And and uh, what you see there, I mean, there's a bunch of things you see, but the, the number one thing for sure is that healthy relationships focus on forgiveness and mercy mm. and that the caring for those who are in need there's a lot of if you look at matthew 18 there's a lot of discussion of the lessers you know little ones and children their their value but then the biggest theme ends up being mercy mm. that relationships have to be marked by forgiving those who have wronged mm. us and mm. then also going to people when we've wronged them and so there's a lot more we could say about matthew 18 yeah. 20 but that's the first thing that comes to mind is the the centrality of relationships of, of mercy and forgiveness. You know, that's so interesting. I, well, A, I just, I love that because a biblical picture is the flies in the face of what culture would offer us mm. today. Mm. I mean, specifically, if we think of an, if we think of cancel culture right. and the entire mm. idea that um, if I make one error or not even an error, if I simply speak against something that uh, you might be in favor of, then you have... Uh, what feels as though it's the right to be able to say, oh, well, you're canceled, mm -hmm. meaning you're disqualified, you are subjugated, you are, uh, there is no mercy here for mm -hmm. you. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about how maybe as you have been teaching in these workshops or even, you know, you're you're speaking to so many people as you're writing, what is the response, what do you see kind of as the response of people to that idea of this, uh, that relationships hinge biblically on the, on mercy and how that kind of interplays with people's understanding of cancel culture. Have you experienced that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. As I think about the season we're in, in culture, it does seem that the, the greatest virtue, which is not really a virtue mm -hmm. is indignation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how I've kind of analyzed it's like indignation mm -hmm. has become like mm -hmm. you're a hero if you're indignant. Mm. And it's, it's just a very, odd thing because in no no time in human history is indignation but considered a virtue right and you and you have to it's not very difficult to look at your own soul and it the what that produces in community is that it creates isolation mm. you know it, it because you're i mean you might find a tribe of other people that you're mad with right but that's not that's not the basis of a flourishing relationship or friendship mm -hmm. is you're opposed to things together and upset about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, unfortunately, you can build churches, you can build organizations, mm -hmm. you can, you can build a lot of followers on social media by being mad about mm -hmm. stuff, but it shapes the soul in a, a deeply distorted way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, yeah, I've just observed that as well. Um, you know, to your question, Taryn, I think it's a great one. I, I find that people really resonate with that picture mm -hmm. of the idea that treating each other with mercy and, and forgiveness. I mean, it's just, it has just such a deep, obvious experiential power to it mm -hmm. because we know that we have 
failed and we know that we make mistakes, even if we don't want to admit it, and even if we've developed mm -hmm. personalities and other ways to sort of avoid that. But when we taste someone genuinely showing us mercy, there's just no, there's no more powerful testimony to the goodness of, of God and his way. But maybe, maybe I didn't answer your question. Maybe. No, you absolutely did. I, I, I just think it's so compelling. Do you know what I just thought of? And maybe this is like a product of me being <laughs> it's a part of just my own generation is I just thought of Ted Lasso. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's sure. just that entire idea, right? It is, uh, it is not a, an incredibly biblical picture by any means, but it is this taste of someone who is yeah. uh, long suffering and patient and enduringly forgiving. And it is a amazing the way mm. that people have mm -hmm. looked on and been so excited about a character caricature. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, and so I just, um, I do wonder, you know, so that is a picture I think that a culture at large can kind of look at and say, oh my goodness, that, that looks like a good friend. But mm. what would... So mercy being right, caring being kind of a, 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 a virtue, a virtue, yeah, large pieces of, of friendship. But what are some of the other qualities that you have seen? Maybe there's your own experiences of friends. Uh, maybe those are biblical example of friendship. I just I think it's so important for us to actually get kind of down into the details of what a good, wise friendship, me being a friend and then also interacting with my friends looks like. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, you want my hot take on Ted Lasso I first? I do, 100%. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of I course. want your hot take on everything. <laughs> yeah. No, I have no hot takes on anything. <laughs> but but I, I I know the rest of my family disagrees with me with sure. what I'm about to say. So maybe most people will. So if we'll bring them to on. cut it out. But uh, <laughs> um, I also love Ted Lasso. I have not finished the third season yet. But Same. I loved the perfection of the first season. Yeah, and right. Yeah, I yeah. would have loved it to end there. Yeah, now, I, most, I think I, it's kind of weird. I, I, agree. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. I agree okay, too. you do because yeah. I mean, I'm you know deeply committed to the therapeutic journey and the mm -hmm. and the counseling journey. I'm deeply committed to the the complexity of the human soul, of course, that meant and grief and broken. I mean, and I I get that that's valuable in season two. Of course, but there was something so perfectly beautiful about the first season. Agreed that benefited society. Yes. I mean, yeah. You saw the yeah. impact of it at this crucial time during you know, the pandemic that I feel like they kind of ruined. Maybe that's too strong, but it's not, you know, what happens in season two and season three, it's just like, Okay, that's real, but that was kind of the genius of season one. Is that exactly it was an it was it, an ideal. It was, it was an so ideal. You yes, know? it was so yeah. countercultural to know, to so much great, anger so. and indignation. To your point, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. But anyways, yeah. Um, well, and you know, I, I I should say that you know, for Matthew, for you know, Jesus, the way Jesus teaches in Matthew, mercy is the primary virtue. It's the way we relate to others. Mercy has two parts. It means there are two faces, like it's helping those who are in need, like that's one sense of mercy. And then the other part of mercy is forgiving those who have wronged us. Mm -hmm. And thankfully in English, we can actually use that word mercy in both those ways. Right. Um, it, but it's actually how the, how the Greek word Matthew functions as well. It's it really how Jesus teaches and models both of those kinds of mercy. Well, that whole thing is what the Gospel of John and the Apostle Paul describe as love. Mm -hmm. It's really the mm -hmm. same thing. Uh, it's just another kind of right. metaphor, another way of kind of describing it, but love is the big idea. And, and, uh, and that, you know, 
gets me to, I think, the answer or an answer to your question. If love slash mercy are the overriding things that mark our relationships, I, I think here of, of um, Aristotle going way, way back, identified three different kinds or types of friendship that I think are still really helpful to kind of think through. There's a kind of friend that is more of a utility, like not, mm -hmm. not that you're using someone, but like friendships that are like in a workplace or right. um, that you, you know, there's mutual benefit to working together, various things. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you could make it bad, but, sure. but it, it um, there's just that kind of level or, or space of friendship. There's kind of a level above that is based on like shared interests or affinity. So if you think about it, there's another set of friends in your life, maybe that you have that are, you like the same stuff. You're all into motocross or, <laughs> you know, WWF or whatever it is, WWE, I guess it is. Um, and, but there's a, there's another kind of friendship that Aristotle says is the highest form, which I think is helpful for us to think about Christianly as well. And that's a kind of friendship where you're dedicated to virtue is what he would say. But also that you, I would say from a Christian perspective, you are dedicated to the, and, and living out goodwill toward the other person. Mm -hmm. And that goodwill looks like forgiving them when they wrong you, mm -hmm. means showing compassion when they screw up. Yes. And it also means, um, you know, serving in the sense of showing up in good times and bad times, you know, their kid invites your graduation party, you go, mm -hmm. you know, and, and when they're at the hospital bed, you go and you, you know, you, you're present and you're intentional. And I think that that kind of highest form of friendship is, is one that is really marked by a conscious intentionality that is built on also shared loves. I mean, yeah. it, there's yeah. a naturalness to the people that love the same things. But then adding to that, like not being content with that naturalness, yes. but actually saying, I'm going to commit to pursue the goodwill of the other. Mm. I think that's the so kind good. of the highest form of friendship. Beautiful. I think, but, you know, I've been reading um, this guy named Andrew Root lately. He's, mm -hmm. I think, Professor Luther Seminary or something yeah. like that. But his, in one of the books I've been reading by him, he sort of marries the work of um, Ehrenberg, I think is his name, a book called Weariness of the Self. And he's looking, and I can't remember who else he's looking at. But anyways, what he talks about is the age of authenticity. And he's talking about what happens is, and I promise I'm getting to a point, but what he says is there is this type of thing in the age of authenticity where you can choose whatever identity you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. that you end up having to perform it. The only way you can mm -hmm. occupy the identity because it's coming from within you is you have to perform it. And what that means is it shapes the relationship with the other in a mm -hmm. very particular way. What you need from the other is an mm -hmm. audience, right. and then you need affirmation. Mm -hmm. And so every relationship, and I think about the ways that this is being discipled in youth culture, especially through social media. That's like maybe the main area mm -hmm. you see this sure. working out. It's like, I am this type of person. How am I going to show you that this is who I am? I'm going to post about it. So mm -hmm. I'm always performing, performing, performing. I need the audience. I need the clicks. I need the likes. And it's a shallow way of interacting. And the vision you just laid out hmm. for what it means to actually be in relationship with one another is not simply affirmation, like me, like me, like me. Mm -hmm. um, there's a real exchange. And I love the Aristotelian view of friendship that 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 I think is actually biblical too the the mm -hmm. seeking the good in the mm -hmm. other and knowing that they're seeking the good in you mm -hmm. there's a part of that 
that is really practical. And so maybe stepping out of the abstract and then bringing that to the ground, I have two questions. One is about what are practical ways you talked about forgiveness and you talked about having a posture of forgiveness and mercy, love towards the other. But what are some other ways that we can just be friends with one another mm-hmm. that that aren't, um, I don't know, so loaded with expectations around, you know, performance and likes and sh- th- that sort of shallow piece. Um, mm-hmm. I th- I'm thinking mainly of our younger listeners, especially the high schoolers mm-hmm. I can think of who are always on their phones and those kind of things. I know I sound like an old person kind of wagging my finger, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Pennington, what do you think about that? Hmm. Yeah. I do think showing up and putting your phone down is actually a really powerful way right. to, to be present with other people. And, and I don't want to sound like just like an old man either, although I am one and I, and I struggle with the same things. I mean, I'm most habituated into There's wisdom my, in those years, yeah. gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm habituated into my, you know, Apple products as yes. the next yes, person. Sure. And, um, but I am really conscious, especially when I am sitting down with someone, which I do a lot. I have a lot of coffee and lunch appointments and to really just not look at my phone at all during mm. that time. It's very conscious. Mm-hmm. The only, you know, if like if a kid calls or my wife calls, that's the only right. time, you know, I pick up and I tell people that. But other than that, I don't even think about I try not even think about my phone. And it's a discipline, but it's a discipline you can do. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you really can grow in it like any discipline. And so I think that's an obvious one. And I think of my kids again, it's really a struggle for them too, because they've, they're more deeply habituated even because I grew up in the seventies and eighties <laughs> when they're, and was a young adult in the nineties when there wasn't such things. And for all my kids, they, it's been a much you know larger mm-hmm. part of their lives. So right. I understand it's, but humans can change. I mean, yeah. that's the reality. Yeah. You, you can make choices incrementally to become a different kind of person mm-hmm. and, and in terms of disciplines and habits and, and I think that's an obvious one is to just kind of put your phone down. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, pursuing, I love that stuff, what you were saying there about not pursuing relationships where you're performing. I and mean, I feel convicted by that too. I can yeah, think of a lot of ways that's yes. true, true of me too, but to, to show up, I, you know, what I, what I often think about and talk with people a lot about is what I call the two C's. And I don't even know if I made this up or I probably got it from somewhere else, but <laughs> they are, um, curiosity and compassion. Mm. And so as I think about relating to other people, um, whether they're friends or even strangers or, you know, a tradesman at my house, but a new pool liner and or whatever it is, which happened a couple weeks ago, um, I try to very intentionally and sincerely show up with curiosity, the, the good sense of curiosity of understanding why people are showing up the way they are or what their story is, asking mm-hmm. sincere questions. Um, uh, just about family of origin or, you know, what their experience in life is and really showing up with genuine curiosity. I think that is the way that we so deeply love people or another, another term for it is attention, mm-hmm. you know, just really giving our attention, the things we give our attention to are the things that we love. And I think curiosity is a way to really show sincere attention of love toward people. Mm-hmm. And then with that, to show compassion mm. for people and whatever their brokenness is and, and struggles and needs and hopes and desires. And what I've found is that when you pursue curious attention, compassion actually comes naturally mm. uh, because it's like, once you start thinking about someone 
not just reacting to how they're showing up, but actually start thinking about what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible not to start to have compassion for people. So and I think when we show up in with any relationship, but especially friendships with curiosity and compassion, that's a way to really do something so much more than the performative yeah. kind of friendship. So. It's crazy to think that curiosity demands slowing down enough to think about the other mm-hmm. person. You, I mean, because like I, I love what you said. It's like we're all guilty of these things. You know, none of us are perfect in this. And it's like s- taking time to like not just react. We're all busy. We got kids. You got this, whatever. You have a life. You have work. You have friends. But just to like, I'm thinking of the people who show up, like you said, the guy who's coming to line your pool or whatever. And it's like to just actually be interrupted a little bit and think about somebody mm-hmm. else uh, hey, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder what their day's been like. You know, those kind mm-hmm. of that kind of curiosity is such a That's love. It's yes, love, man. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. speaking of speaking of that, just because you don't know what's going to come back at you, so often mm-hmm. when you're curious towards somebody, or when you, maybe somebody's being curious towards you, and you offer good authenticity, right? Uh, authentic emotion back. I feel like even talking about one of the the themes, like talking about Ted Lasso and cer- certain things like that. It's like one one thing we're talking about is like having being able to have healthy emotions, being able to hold somebody's brokenness mm-hmm. and speak life back to them without without having their unhealth or unrest or whatever those kind of things infect you. Or at the same time, you know, just knowing how to navigate emotion. You talk about this. Uh, and Jesus is a great philosopher. You talk about emotions some. Can you talk about wisdom and maybe what God's word says about ordering our emotions, especially yeah. in the context of relationship, I guess? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, you know, emotions, as we've talked before on this podcast yes. and other contexts too, yeah, they are really central to what it means to be human. You mm-hmm. know, we cannot deny them. Um it's just that we need to pay attention to them in a lot of ways. One is to... Uh, let them be guides to what's going on inside of us um, mm. in our both our bodies, the way our bodies are reaction reacting as well as our emotions. Those are gifts of insight, especially the negative emotions, anger, mm. fear, shame. In fact, everything really comes down to fear and shame, <laughs> I think I really believe. and and so paying attention to when we're feeling something instead of denying it or escaping it or, or especially you know channeling it, towards somebody else negatively to ask that, to be curious about ourselves, to mm-hmm. say, why am I feeling so paralyzed right now emotionally? Or why am I feeling so upset and agitated? Or why am I feeling so angry? Or why am you know, and to, to not, again, run away from those things, but to recognize there's something underneath that. Mm. Um, and it's usually going to be fear or shame. Mm. And then I think it's also really helpful to think about um, that under every negative emotion and really under every sin, there's a good and holy desire mm. that there's something in us that we need and that we long for, um, something beautiful and good that we're made for. And again, when you do that kind of curiosity towards yourself, and a lot of times if you've never done that, a, a counselor mm. can help you learn, right. a good yeah. friend can help you yeah. learn to do that. Um, and even if you have done it, sometimes still really helpful to have <laughs> yeah. a friend who just kind of helps ask questions, not in a, not in a kind of like gotcha way or something, but in a just helping you reflect back what's going on. 
and then you can begin to see the good and holy desires that we are longing for. Mm -hmm. And you can address those in the presence of God and say, here's what I need, God. I mean, here's what, or to a friend, I I just, I really need love here. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this whole um, idea of emotions, again, needs to be embraced as as gifts to help us see what's really going on in our souls. So um, good. You know, as you're as you're talking about that, the thing that I the thing that I'm thinking of is the different ways that we uh, get to pr- befriend others and the different kinds of relationships, but also the way that God asks us to come alongside him and befriend ourselves. Mm. It's actually to come alongside him in alignment with what he says about us in Christ, what he says about us as image bearers, you know? So if it's, if you're thinking of the natural kind of waves of discipleship, it's I am loving God really probably for the sake of myself. And then as I grow in experience, I begin to love God for the sake of who he is as he's changing me. And then there becomes a a turn where I start to love God for who he is. And then I learn to love me. That's good. For who he says that I am, Mm -hmm. which is really incredible that we get to extend the kind that kind of mercy and i i've uh, maybe just as i'm on the, my similarly my own journey of learning to uh, speak the words of god over my own life i'm really good at at knowing what it means to be compassionate outside of me mm-hmm. but the internal mm-hmm. voice of shame gets so high and uh, is so uh, antagonizing and cruel. Uh, it's not actually the voice of God. And he invites us to, to your point, to come alongside him and uh, to learn his ways and uh, his voice over our life, which is, I mean, just that the gift of insight that he gives us and emotions and then how we get to kind of transpose that for ourselves and then also for the people around us. You know, I immediately... Mm-hmm immediately think of parenting, you know, my little girl. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I yeah. I get to befriend her. That's actually a part of I am friending back, right? That curiosity and compassion is a part of the way that God has ordered us, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in our friendships, certainly in our marriages. Uh, but, you know, I anyways, I just am just caught that so beautiful. I love that I yeah. that concept of curiosity and compassion. I I do wonder uh, in your own life, can you give us an example? Um, maybe this is your best friend. Maybe it's someone who has been in your life for a season or whatever else, but someone who has exemplified the highest form of friendship to you and what that relationship has looked like, how they've showed, shown up for you, what that's meant for you. Kind of maybe just describe it. Hmm. I think one of the things I'm seeing about myself, and this is really my wife's insight, is that insight into what's going on in my life is that I do find it easier to get fans than friends. Mm. And I don't want that to be true in my life, but for whatever insecurities and all the other, you know, brokenness in my soul and just habits that I've learned, it's, it's really easy for me to have a lot of friends that are, are friends, but to kind of maybe keep them at that second level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like it's not, it's never conscious or intentional. And I do have very close friends, a lot of them actually, mm-hmm. but to, but just, and I, I'm laughing just to say though, at the same time, you know, the stage, my age and my career and my quote unquote success or whatever means that I'm in environments where there's a big power differential mm-hmm. typically. You know, where I'm the professor, I'm the pastor, I'm the scholar, or I'm the visiting 
speaker or whatever. And I'm not like conscious of that. In fact, I rarely am. And I don't really, at one level, I don't really care, but it's been good for me to pay attention to the fact that that power differential can be used unconsciously by me to keep people a little at bay, you know, um, and still get the affirmation that Mm -hmm. I crave. It's just making me think about the first moment I've been thinking, I've been thinking a lot in recent years about the, this kind of aspect of my life Mm. and, and wanting to really make sure I have a, a small circle, at least of, uh, friendships that are free of that as much mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the short answer to your question would be it's friends that are not fans, <laughs> friends yes. that actually just like me for who I am yeah. and don't don't uh, contribute to my constant habit of using performance as a Enneagram 3, especially my constant habit of using performance to get affirmation and love, you know, so, so people that, that that just kind of show up for me mm-hmm. regardless to my performance. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the invitation uh, to lay down the performance, I think I, as a mm-hmm. fellow Enneagram 3, as the yes. kind of the performer and the the doer, yeah, totally. I think the, the most profound uh, things that I've learned with with some of my deepest friendships have been those who have actively uh, invited me to do nothing, like actively Mm -hmm. invited me to not perform in a space. And a lot of times what that means for me, actually, interestingly, is that I will, uh, I'll get quiet in uh, kind of the, yep. those spaces with the people that I trust most. And mm. it's it's almost as though, and because I trust them, I trust them enough to be able to lay down the idealized version of myself mm. because I have experienced the love of God from them that requires nothing of me and gets to actually maybe in that moment just be. Um, I don't even know yeah. if that's being more fully me, but just simply being. Um, and that, you know, even in my, I guess maybe my own immaturity, not necessarily, um, I'm still learning. I'm just, in, I'm just in process That's good. learning. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's very interesting. I mean, I think I've ex- experienced, I've experienced two things when I feel the safest. One is what you just described. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm like, I talk less. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's my mode. And and then the other is that I laugh a lot. Oh, like yeah. I'm thinking of this one, there's a couple of friends that just, they make me laugh so and, much. And I feel they love me and so I, and they're both like really clever we have a similar kind of sense of humor and so there's a freedom yeah from that, that performer mm-hmm. just to kind of laugh and yeah. be goofy in various kind of ways and still yeah those were my experience as well yeah so i love yeah, that you good. brought up laughter yeah oh gosh and, and like the, the key of friendship and... yeah, is, yeah I mean, can we have a good time and well, are you having a good time right. it's a great question to ask about you and your friends like because as christians you know it's like uh, there's tropes from all sides but i mean i guess one of them would just be like even as we've talked which has been good we've talked about mercy and forgiveness and love and then we talk about the good we see in one another mm-hmm. and like that's all true and oh, really yeah. really great um and there's a side of friendship that's like and and it's god-given like it i think it's like yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. To be a Christian friend does not mean you have to 
only be, you know, a, a somber, serious. serious somber, although I want to be a serious man. spiritual, merciful person that's yes, super boring yes. and doesn't yeah. like really the people you're right, with. Right, right, right. It's right. like that's yeah. the joke or whatever. Yeah. Constantly but it, in a state of yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, meditative sort of hovering. Right, yeah. right. I think I even maybe idealize it when I think of myself. Absolutely. Maybe not my, what I want for my friends, but I almost sometimes hope, man, I wish I was a serious man, sober minded, more serious. But when I think about times where I feel like it's just such a gift to be with another person. Sometimes all we've done is laugh or enjoy good food or whatever, you know? And I think that's part of friendship too. I just, just put that in I think it's the building block, you know, there is, there is, well, if I'm, it's this, if it's a staircase, I, you have to move down into the depths of those kinds of, um, conversations and even the ability to remain quiet in, in our case. Right. But that requires trust. And all of that is built on experience. Mm -hmm. All of that is the, and, and so many of those experiences happen when we're shoulder to shoulder doing something fun or, you know, yeah. I mean, I think of my husband who's the, the funniest person. I'm like, he's he a good, so funny, man. he's so funny. And I'm like, that's, that's half of the reason that I like our marriage works so well. Right. It's like, cause we're good friends. Cause you were funny. Yeah. Good job. You had me really interested kind of in your thoughts, uh, specifically as we we're speaking to m- and most of our audience being believers and as they operate within the family of God in mm. the church. And, you know, uh, as a woman who has male friends in the church and who loves, who loves brothers, I'm sitting next to one who I just adore, who is mm. a dear friend mm. of mine. Um, but I also understand that that comes with a lot of complexity um, mm. and, or can, um, and maybe doesn't have to, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God specifically friendship between brothers and sisters you're channeling our mutual friend you're yeah, channeling our mutual friend forever. jen very yeah. much you right uh-huh. i'll channel her forever yeah <laughs> yes um that's understandable uh yeah um as you know we were together in a context uh earlier this year and we were talking about that as well mm-hmm. yeah together and i yeah you know it is really beautiful and it is very powerful and i you know to honor jen wilkins good insight on this and and other people too that you know the brother sister metaphor is this primary one in the bible Mm -hmm. um even for married couples i mean it's it's interesting you think about like what are the metaphors in the new testament describe the relationship of christian humans to other christian humans it's a, there's a lot of them, you know, friend, other thing, but brother, sister is the primary one for sure. And that does give us a vision and free us up and, and give us resources to think about healthy male, female friendships, mm-hmm. just like you, you know, if you have a healthy enough family, brothers and sisters, maybe when you're younger, you don't get along, <laughs> but eventually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you, you do hopefully. And that's something really beautiful. And I, I really appreciate that period, full stop. And, you know, at the same time, I think as you're just acknowledging, I think we all, you know, recognize it is a little bit more complicated than same gender relationships. And I think the key is to have a balance of both and also to, you know, every, the, the virtue is always the, the mean between the two vices, you know, one would be like avoiding women out of fear or something for a guy or, or or the other way around. Um, as friends. And the other would be to be like clueless about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the advice on the other side would be like, <laughs> then I even think, well, it's all, we're all good, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I think the, the virtue is to sort of recognize that it's a little bit more complicated potentially, mm-hmm. um, but don't 
become weird about it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think, or, uh, you know, yeah. not avoid. Yes. To your point. Yeah. The, to, the avoidance of because there maybe is more work re required to extend the curiosity and compassion to um, to someone else. And I mean, I think there is probably an ease that I experience as a married woman, um, sure. heteronormative woman in, in, uh, in just the relationships totally. that because I get to befriend a good friend's husband. Right. And so that's a mm -hmm. unit, but I think of single brothers and sisters sure. who are in the church desiring those kinds of yeah. friendships and needing to learn in those kinds of friendships. And, mm -hmm. um, and I know in talking with so many of them, it's like feeling that lack and then also the gap that exists, mm -hmm. right. And, and wanting to be respectful and kind, but also wanting to emulate a biblical faithfulness of when this is the family of God and we get to be friends right. here. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you have thoughts on that or, um, have just, well, yeah, and, and I, around I, that. I think related to all that, I, it, it, it works to the degree that both people are healthy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes, so, totally. if, if, so if we could put the kind of psychological slash soul health, one way of thinking about it is in, in the metaphor terms of like enmeshment versus differentiation, which I assume maybe you guys know something about that, mm -hmm. but just to explain it. So like an, an unhealthy way that we can show up in relationships with other people, two viceful ways that we could show up. One would be enmeshed where you like get overly identified and find your identity in someone mm -hmm. else. The vice on the other extreme of that is a kind of aloofness where you're never vulnerable, never authentic with people. Between those two vices that are very easy to do is this virtuous way of what we would call self-defined or differentiating, right. where we are, are, we are ourselves mm -hmm. and are centered and, you know, over time, we're all imperfect yeah. and it takes a long time, but we are, we are ourselves. And then from an increasingly healthy place, we relate to other people that doesn't overly enmesh with mm -hmm. them and or nor you know fails to relate at all by being aloof or distant and so it's always a moving target in the sense of like it's a journey of getting towards health mm -hmm. of being a differentiated person well you can really only have meaningful relationships same gender or cross-gender mm -hmm. to the degree in which you are yes. you and the other person are, are self-defined or differentiated yeah. because what happens is if you don't to whatever degree you don't it is not a spectrum mm -hmm. So whatever you're going, you're going to end up in meshing yes. probably. Mm -hmm. And with same gender, it's, you know, you don't, maybe it's not as aware as being problematic, but if you overly enmesh with someone of the other yes. gender, especially, or even whether they're married or you're married or not, it actually mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It's, this is where the complexity really comes mm -hmm. in across cross-gender relationships, because then there are other factors, yeah. sociologically, hormonally, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just sexual attraction, all these kind yeah. of things that can happen. Mm -hmm that are fine if you're self-differentiated, but to the degree in which we're unhealthy and overly enmeshed with other people, that's when I think it gets really complicated. Yeah. I, hope I, that, I hope I didn't make that too. No, that too it's, it, no, it's incredibly yeah. helpful across the entire spectrum of friendship it because is. it is what yeah. you're saying is there is an avenue of health to be able to relate to any person. And so whether right. there's a person who struggles with same-sex attraction or a person who, you know, is heteronormative, right. regardless, it's That's like, right, exactly right. you know, so there is a way in which I can come to, I mean, I counsel so many women who have codependent mm -hmm. friendships with other yep. women, specifically right. kind of college right. age, totally. right? Where it's uh, because there there uh, has not been a growing understanding of self the sufficiency of Christ, mm -hmm. my identity in Christ, my identity starts to get linked out here. And then I have mm -hmm. 
have mm-hmm. trouble. I have trouble being able to differentiate. And so I, I love that idea that it's like actually there's health and spiritual health, mental health, mm-hmm. health of a person. And I think it's I want to name one more complexity, but I think it's really important to just say it's all worth it. Like we're yes. made to be in relationship with one another. And so it's like, hey, like. Yeah, there's things to navigate, like everything else in life. And so if you hear these complexities, you obviously probably already know them if you're a human being Mm -hmm. in relationships to others. But it's worth it, and it's worth it to try, and it's worth it to fail, and it's worth Mm it to... Um, but image God, image God. <laughs> our children yeah. and to our neighbors and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the watching world is like to your, to your point to, I mean, I love so much a, about what you've written, Dr. Pennington, but the idea of human flourishing, right. what does it mean mm-hmm. to enact the kingdom of God right. here on earth? And it's, that's a part of it. Goodness. Yeah. Good friendship. That's such a crux of who Jesus is. He's a perfect friend. So we get to mm-hmm. emulate that. Um, one caveat that I was going to mention is just knowing maybe the role you play too in another's life. Somebody said, I don't remember which one of us, but somebody said something about misusing power earlier. And um, I think the primary metaphor, absolutely, totally agree, love all the work that's been done recently around brother and sister. But I think sometimes where I've potentially seen that go wrong is that there's another metaphor that's used a lot and that's spiritual mothers and fathers. And I think just like a, um, just like, uh, like there's a way to be a friend as a parent, but your primary right. role needs to be a parent. And just like the way that we've all, well, those of us who were heathens in our younger years, experienced cool moms and cool dads who partied with kids, <laughs> there's a way of misusing your power if you occupy a certain role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. where you can try to relate to somebody as a friend when that's not the way you need to it's be. They word. might be looking mm-hmm. for something else from you. Just like Dr. Pennington, mm-hmm. Pennington I assume, um, there's ways to be a friend to your students, but your primary role is has an authority. <laughs> it mm-hmm. would be strange if you maybe mm-hmm. um, came, a, if you asked for things from a student, like if you started confessing <laughs> sins and, and asking mm-hmm. them to be your accountability partner, that may be, mm-hmm. That might not be seeking the good mm-hmm. in them, their mm-hmm. their well being, and so I think just it's complexity. I think it's one to just notice. I th- I mentioned this in another podcast we talked about, but there's an older woman in our church who is a spiritual mother. She comes to me and prays for me. She prays for Jamin, who's another one of our pastors here. She will admonish and say, "Don't forget this. Don't forget that." And if I was like yo, that's awesome. What a, And just, it would be dishonoring if I treated her as anything other than a spiritual mom, you know? And so I just think um, the best way to be a friend to her is to recognize her motherhood yeah. over this church and over us. And so, I don't know. I just, I, mm, I've thought about beautiful. that a lot no, lately. And I, I wonder if you guys have thought about that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'd just say that's, that's really beautiful. I don't <laughs> yeah, think I, don't I probably, I, I don't think I, I don't think I think about those categories enough, honestly. I I think you're absolutely right. I think my tendency is to be very friendly and vulnerable with people that even probably the power differential is pretty high. Sure. And in some ways that's good. Right. Like me too. I, yes. I'm like, I'm very accessible. And yeah. I think that's what I often hear from people. They're surprised yeah. how accessible I am. I think that's good, but there is the potential of unhealth on my side that doesn't really do good for them to be too much that way. I think you're, I think you're putting your finger on something really important. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And again, it's the, it's the balance. I just like keep coming back to there's, 
yeah, just the the way is narrow. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a way to faithfully follow Jesus that that looks like seeking the wisdom of God in every relationship and every space. And um, I just so appreciate the call, Dr. Pennington, to do that, to be curious and compassionate and to uh, go mm. uh, to to display the long-suffering, fun <laughs> love of <laughs> Jesus over time that is intentional and that shows up and that commits and that commits again and commits again and offers forgiveness and extends mercy and care and forgiveness yeah. over yeah. and over again. And what a be- just a beautiful picture. So thank you so much um, just for your time yeah. and yeah. Um, goodness, your wisdom. We are, I am so grateful for you, yeah. for uh, God in you and, um, and your vulnerability. It it, encur- it encourages me. It encourages me. So. Same. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from the Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on social. Make sure you check out our show notes for more information on how to best connect with us and to connect with our guests and ways to support their work. See you next time.